First Peter chapter three. First <clears throat> Peter three. We'll commence reading in verse eight, read down to verse thirteen. First Peter chapter three, reading from verse eight down to verse thirteen. Let's hear the Lord's word. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you, if ye be followers of that which is good? God add his blessing to that reading from his word for his name's sake. Would you bow your head with me for a moment in prayer? Let's seek the Lord together. Father in heaven, Jesus Christ's name, we ask for thy presence to be felt in our midst. We ask in Christ's name for that indwelling power of the Spirit of God to strengthen the preacher to declare the word of the Lord. Guard his lips, his heart, his thoughts. Let everything be that which would please thee. We would even, Lord, take up the words of David. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be found acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And let this time in the word of the Lord be profitable. May it be mixed with faith as it's heard this morning in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. After a brief pause, we're returning to our studies of First Peter chapter 3 and to the theme that's found in this passage, which is how to live a long and good life. For he that will love life and see good days, for he that will love... If you want to live a long one, if you really love life and see good days, living the good life, let him... Let him do what has been the question that we've been seeking to answer because it tells us how God's people are to behave themselves in order to live a long and prosperous life, a long and good life. In the first part of verse 8, we saw how Peter applied this as it relates to how Christians are to treat each other. So he says, you want to live a long and good life? Then be all of one mind. Have compassion one of another. And love as brethren. In the second half of that verse, he expanded Christian behavior to encompass that uh, way they should treat those who are saved or lost, not just the saved alone, but those who are even outside the body of Christ. So he writes, be pitiful and be courteous. As we come to verse 9 and, and following this morning, we find Peter narrows his instruction about how Christians are to treat, behave toward yet another group of people that they meet with in life. And it seems like these people are the very ones who stand right in the way of a Christian loving and living the good life. I'm referring, of course, to those who treat us in the very opposite way that Peter has been calling upon us to treat others. Instead of being united with us, they are against us. Instead of showing us compassion, they show us cruelty. Instead of love, there is hatred and bitterness. Instead of pity, there is 
harshness and hardness of heart. And instead of being courteous, they treat us with rudeness, with contempt, and with arrogance. Peter indicates in verse 9 that their behavior towards us in both word and deed is evil. Evil. The word evil speaks of behavior which is not only wrong, but behavior which is hurtful and it is destructive. It's not just against the law. It's detrimental to us. It hurts. And it harms. Now, while it's true that Christians can do evil things to others, and Christians can say evil things to others, the context of this passage indicates that Peter is referring to the enemies of God's people. He's not here dealing with the, uh, the, the, the evil things that Christians can say and do to each other, although there'll be application there, and if it comes up, I'll make the application, but it's fundamentally those who are outside of the body of Christ who are the enemies that are in, before us this morning. The remainder of this chapter speaks to this kind of response, that, that Christians, Christians who really are serious about wanting to love life and see good days, the kind of behavior they are to have regarding their enemies and to the suffering, to the hurt and harm that they receive from their enemies. It, it certainly can be applied to the Lord's people and how they are to respond when Christians do them wrong. But Peter's focus is on the true enemies of the church and of Christians within the church and how they should be acting towards those enemies. Notice the contrast in verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, that's the believers, and his ears are open to their cry, prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Those are unbelievers. So those who are the real evildoers and those who are railing against Christians are the Christians' enemies, not their brothers and their sisters in Christ. They're evildoers. They're wicked. And they are treating the Lord's people in a way that's painful and destructive. How are we to respond if we want to love life and see good days? If we want to live the good life as defined by Christ, how are we to respond to our enemies? Remember that in all of this which began back in chapter 2... Dealing, Peter, is with how the Christian is to live a godly life before an ungodly world. You might remember that. Well, he's just been going on. There's no chapter division. That's one long letter. And he's still going on with how you live a godly life before an ungodly world. And what Peter has returned to once again is how to live a godly life before an ungodly world that wants to hurt you and that actually wants to destroy you. Because it is your enemy. That's what enemies do. They don't want your success. They want your destruction. Enemies want to hurt you. They don't want to help you. They're against you. As we see the fulfillment of what Paul told Timothy, that evil men shall wax worse and worse, that as lawlessness abounds, the attacks upon the Lord's people will only increase in number they will increase in variety, and they will increase in intensity. I'm just giving you a heads up. That's what we're facing. It's going to increase. It's not going to wax better and better. It's going to wax worse and worse. And so we need to know how to respond as Christians to a world that is openly hostile to us. to a world that believes that we are the enemy and that they are not our friends. And the more they see of a godly life in us, the more of an enemy 
they will become. From this passage, I want to speak this morning on how to treat your enemies. In the context of living a good life, if you want to live long and see good days, then the Holy Ghost has said, here's how you need to treat your enemies. First off is the mission we're called to fulfill. The mission we are called to fulfill. Well, where is that in the passage? Are you interested? Verse 9, after saying, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrary wise blessing, that's the mission. Peter writes right after that, knowing that you are thereunto called. This is what you're called to do. This is the Christian's mission, one of the missions he has in life. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. It's contrary wise blessing in the place of railing. We're called to this. Where'd that call come from? Well, it, you know where it came from. It came from Jesus Christ, the great king and head of the church. Here's what Jesus had to say in Matthew and Matthew 5. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven." For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans do the same? But ye be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Those were the words of the king and Peter is saying, the king has sent us on a mission in this world. So what is this mission that we've been called to fulfill as Christians who, who profess that we want to really live the good life, to see uh, good days and godly days and days of heaven on earth? Well, number one, the mission, uh, our mission with regard to how we are to treat our enemy is that we will not retaliate when they wrong us. The mission is not to retaliate when they wrong us. Whoever it might be in the world, whoever the lost person is, whatever ungodly organization it might be, we are not to retaliate when they wrong us. When they treat us wrongly, when they commit evil things against us, we are not to commit an evil against them in return. Maybe you're thinking, I would never do that. Well, then you don't know yourself and you don't know what you've already done. Because you've done that on more than one occasion in your life. Someone has hurt you, and your immediate response has been to strike back. Has it not? It's to get even. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. I'm going to give you your own back. That's the mentality behind it. So these words aren't uh, being spent in vain, you know, when he says... Don't give evil for evil. The Holy Ghost is clearly stating that we're not to harbor. This is life in the kingdom, that we are not to harbor a single thought of carrying out a personal vendetta. If... if, it's true of that regarding our real enemies outside of the body of Christ. Certainly it's true with those inside the body. There's no personal vendettas. It's not 
trying to get back at someone who's hurt us. The word railing means to revile, to reproach, to speak evil about someone. It's referring to verbal abuse of one kind or of another. And our, and our mission, what Christ has sent us into this world to do, if we want to live the good life, we are to refrain from retaliating in kind. That's what Peter said. Now, it, it, a few things I want to say about that. It, it's quite natural to strike back when struck. It's quite natural to retaliate. But we're Christians, and we're called to act spiritual, not natural. Right? Spiritual, not what comes naturally, but what comes spiritually. Someone has said that to give good for evil is godlike. To give good for evil being done is godlike. To give good for good is manlike. To give evil for good is devil-like. But to give evil for evil is beast-like. It's animal. It's the lowest part of our nature to strike back when struck. It's the lowest part to return evil for evil. Retaliation, simply put, is carnal. And carnal is anything but spiritual. We have to call it for what it is. It is carnal. It's also very easy to retaliate because it's so natural. It's very easy to retaliate when someone has done you wrong. When you go down the road of vengeance and getting back, getting your own back, when you go down that road, you won't find that you... That there's any need whatsoever to wrestle with the Lord in prayer to help you to do that. You won't have to ask God, oh, please help me to strike back. It's quite easy. You would have to ask the Lord for help not to strike back, but... We're showing you here why this is to be avoided at all costs. The fact of the matter is that when you go and you take that approach of retaliation, then prayer and humility is out of the question. You don't need to pray about it. You don't need to think about taking the lower, the humbler road of not responding in kind. That's easy. When you retaliate when you've been done wrong, there's not going to be any need for faith. Because what faith will do, it will trust the Lord. It will trust the Lord to deal with the individual. But you don't need faith in the Lord when you take matters into your own hands and say, I'm going to strike back. when when we retaliate against the enemy we are resting in our ability to deal with the enemy and to give them what we think they deserve and we have no part of that and some actually think that to retaliate would be the more manly thing to do. You know, I'm I'm not going to be a doormat. There's this notion that to stand up for yourself, to let people know that you're not going to let the attacks of the enemy, you're not going to take them lying down. 
that you will not kowtow to anyone, but you will defend your honor, you will defend your cause. Some think that's very manly. And if you don't respond to the attacks of the enemy in that way, it's viewed as being unmanly, as viewed as being cowardly. But you know there is only one perfect role model for the Christian man, and that's Jesus Christ. Christ defines what it is to be manly. Therefore, whatever you and I may think is manly, but if it is not Christ-like, it is actually very unmanly. If it is not like Christ, it is unmanly. The God-man was the greatest man that ever walked the face of this earth. There was not one flaw in his manhood. The perfect man. He was wronged throughout his entirely earthly ministry, again and again, but he never sought revenge. He never spoke one word of retaliation. When reviled, he reviled not again, back in chapter 2. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He left the meeting out, the, uh, the giving of justice into the hands of God. My father will take care of this. This fact does not mean that we become doormats on which we allow anyone to walk and wipe their feet. If a man has maliciously, for example, attacked you and sought to ruin your character, then you have the right and then I would say the obligation to defend your character. And if in the defense of your character, this enemy is proven to be a liar and he's hurt because you've revealed the truth about him, then that's just, the course, the consequences of your actions. But all you've sought to do is to defend your own name, your own reputation. You've not gone about with an aim to hurt him. The hurting is just a consequence of doing what was right. But I must never try to injure him because he's injured me. I must never try to get back at that enemy. It doesn't matter who the enemy is. To hurt him because he's hurt me. You fill in the blank there, folks. Just fill in the blank with who the enemy is. Think about the ones to whom Peter is writing. They were surrounded by hostiles. Peter says in verse 10 that we are to refrain our tongue from evil and our lips from speaking guile. That word refrain is in the imperative. It means stop. Restrain your lips, your tongue from speaking evil. Your lips from speaking, the word guile means deceit, lies. That's what the ungodly were doing about the Christians. They were spreading lies about them. Paul says, you hold your tongue. No matter what they say about you, you hold your tongue. You don't spread lies about them because they've spread lies about you. Positively, our mission that Christ has called us to fulfill is to eschew evil. The word eschew means to turn away from. To eschew evil and do good. Oh, now, that's something different, isn't it? 
It's one thing to turn away from doing them evil. Ah, but now he says, actually, do them good. That's our mission. Do good to your enemies. In Romans 12, Paul says, If thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. So our mission is not simply to not, not, not retaliate against the enemy. We have been called to do good to them, and we have been called to treat them with kindness. To treat your enemy with kindness. That's what the king said. That's the law of the kingdom. We're called to show our enemies that we're not like them. That while they may continue to do us wrong, we will continue to forgive them. And as far as in our power to be kind to them. When the Holy Ghost said do good to them, it means quite obviously that we are to actively seek to show kindness to those who have shown us much unkindness. And who have injured us deeply. That's the very opposite. What is our tendency? Shut them out. Have nothing to do with them. That's how you're going to treat me? I'm just going to stay away from you. Now, you compare that mentality to what the Holy Ghost is telling Christians to do here in regards to their enemies. It's what Paul said, it's overcoming evil with good. And for, to, to overcome, something's got to be done. It's an overcoming. It's doing something so that you overcome the evil with the good instead of being overcome with evil so that we do wrongly like they are. Because if we do that, we have been overcome by evil. Peter goes further, seek peace and ensue or pursue it. It's our mission. Seek peace and pursue it. Retaliation, as you can understand from experience, retaliation and revenge always leads to contention. It always leads to strife. It always leads to war and not peace. You've been attacked, I'm going to attack you back. Well, now you've got a fight on your hands. You've got war on your hands. Not only are we told to not seek revenge, we are told to do all within our power to live at peace with those that do us wrong. Isn't that what Paul said in Romans 12? If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. So if, in other words, if there's going to be conflict... The cause of the conflict must not arise from you. It must not arise from me. Our our mission is to preserve peace. Our mission is to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. And when we retaliate, we're troublemakers. We're just making trouble. As far as it can be done... Because I grant you there are times when it is absolutely impossible to preserve the peace with the wicked. As far as it can be done without sacrificing the Lord's word and our own convictions that are grounded on that word, we must strive to promote peace by avoiding giving offense and retaliating when we've been hurt by the enemy. That's pursuing peace. Uh, 
our mission is not only that we do not retaliate for the wrong that has done us, but secondly, our mission in how we treat our enemies is to bless them. That's what he says, right? Not rendering evil for evil, verse 9, or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing. Rendering blessing for evil, rendering blessing for railing. It's obvious from the context that by blessing, Peter means that we are to pray for them. And pray that God would bless them. That's really what Peter is alluding to in verse 12 when he says that the Lord's ears are open unto the prayers of the righteous. That's the context. I have no doubt that Peter is simply repeating what he heard Christ say on more than one occasion during his earthly ministry. Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. To bless them is to pray for them. Instead of getting bitter and harsh, uh, reacting in anger, we are to take them before God and honestly and earnestly pray for them. Our, Our enemies, those who are trying to hurt us and who have hurt us. They've done us wrong. Great damage. We are to pray for God to bless them and to turn them from being one of His enemies to one of his friends. Wouldn't that be far better? To see someone, to see an enemy turn into a friend because the Lord blessed them? Vengeance doesn't want to see that. Vengeance would be far happier to see just all of the wrath of God poured out upon them just to get even. You tell me that's Christ-like? You know it's going to be well nigh impossible to harbor feelings of bitterness and of a vengeful spirit at the same time you are honestly and earnestly praying God to bless your enemy. How do you do that? How do you, how do you do that? Honestly, pray to the Lord, bless them. What they said hurt me. What they said has had a very detrimental impact upon my life, upon my ministry. Alexander the Coppersmith comes to mind about Paul. But Lord, bless them. Change them, turn them. That's the mission. Now, secondly, the mindset we are to cultivate. Peter, in a few words, is telling every Christian to love his enemies. Let's make sure we get this one down pat. God forbids his people to retaliate, seek revenge when they have been injured by their enemy. That seems like a hard pill to swallow, does it not? The sense of justice rises within and you feel that punishment for the evil should be carried out and should be carried out as quickly as possible. You feel justified in hurting them for hurting you. But the mission is clear and it's probably one of the most difficult missions we'll ever face in life. to love these enemies. Not simply tolerate them, but to love them. To do good to them when we know they're doing bad to us. But face it, we must... And as with any obligation that the Lord has laid upon us, however hard it might seem to be, He has also given us gospel truth that if 
we will believe it and embrace it. It will enable us to think correctly about the whole situation. And it's when we think correctly about it and biblically about it that we are strengthened to do what he tells us we are to do. That's why I refer to the mindset. The mindset we have to have. In the first place, if we retaliate, we're acting just like the ungodly. That must be part of it. If, if I strike back, I'm acting just like the ungodly. Like them, we end up being evildoers. Instead of overcoming evil, evil has overcome us. We become guilty of the very sin that we are angry about. We have been hurt. Damage has been done. And it's absolute insanity to think that Doing damage to them and hurting them is the remedy. That is off-the-wall thinking. It is crazyville. It's rejecting exactly what Christ and the Spirit of God says we are to do. It's not the mindset we are to cultivate. If we are overcome by this evil, how can we ever overcome this evil in others? One thing is certain, such a path will do more harm to us than it will do to the one we're seeking to harm. It'll be far worse for us. I heard a preacher say a lot of years ago now, bitterness and anger does more damage to the vessel in which it is stored than on the one on whom it is poured. It's simply not worth it. Evil for evil is a double-edged sword that cuts the one who uses it. And so Peter says, we need a different mindset than the world. You see, the cold fact of the matter is that when we recompense evil with evil, the evil that comes from us does far more injury to us and far more injury to the cause of Christ than any evil that our enemy was doing to us and the cause of Christ. That's how we must think. If we retaliate in whatever form it may take, we are only hurting our own testimony. And we weaken the effectiveness of our ability to witness to this world of the love of Christ, who loved us when we were his enemies. It's a mindset you and I really need to give thought to the message we'll be sending if we seek to repay someone because they've hurt us. We are sending a message, and it's not a good one. We're, we're, we are representing Christ in this world. And is that the message we want to send to our enemies? No, I, I, I think not. We want to let them know that Christ loved us when we were his enemies. And he did good to us when we were his enemies. We come representing God. And so the sun shines upon the wicked and the righteous. And the rain falls on the ground of the godly farmer and the unrighteous farmer. And so he says, Christ says, be like your Father in heaven. Reflect that image in your behavior. Let that be your mindset. The second part of this mindset, Peter says, revenge for evil is the prerogative of God. 
verse 12, the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. He reminds them of that. Don't forget, they are hostile. They speak evil about you. They do evil things to you. But don't forget that the Lord is against them who do evil. Calvin makes this statement on that text. The Lord will be our avenger because he will not always suffer the insolence of the ungodly to prevail. Peter is saying, don't avenge yourselves. Leave the matter with God. Stand out of the way because vengeance belongs to the Lord. We are not the judges of men. God has alone that responsibility. And we're simply to step back and leave God to take his own time and his own way to deal with our enemies. He will do what is right. Our job, our role, our calling is to not do evil for evil, but actually do good and bless them. That's got to be our mindset. So as you see the flood tide of wicked men rising against the church, against Christians, the hatred becoming more open, my mindset, your mindset must always be, I am not here in this world to try to get back at them. To render evil for their evil. I'm to pray for them. I'm, I'm to do good to them. And if they have a need and I see it, as much as I can, I am to try to supply that need. You see, that's foreign to the world's thinking. But it shouldn't be foreign to the thinking of the church. Finally, the motivation for this mission. First Peter says, in fulfilling this mission, we inherit a blessing. Look again at verse 9. Not rendering evil for evil, railing for railing. That ye should inherit a blessing. What's the blessing? Well, the blessing is verse 10. Right? For he, for he that would love life and see good days, that's the blessing. In other words, as much as your flesh tells you otherwise, you and I are not going to be the losers because we love our enemies, because we do good to those that treat us wickedly. We are not going to be the losers. We're going to inherit the blessing. We will love life. We will see good days. Good days are happy days. Happy days are days of enjoying God's favor. For his eyes will be upon us and his ears will be open to our prayer and we will enjoy communion with the Lord. It's not that our obedience to the Lord deserves this, that we earn it somehow because you inherit. You see, that's, that's the word. You inherit the blessing. If it's an inheritance, you didn't earn it. But while this blessing of loving life and seeing good days are the result of the Lord's loving kindness and of the Lord's grace to his people, they are by divine appointment tied intimately to our obedience to the will of God, our obedience to his commandments, our obedience to his law. And there ain't no way you're going to get around that one. I imagine that most of you could sing off by heart that hymn we sang this morning, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And do we actually think for one moment that if we ignore this law about loving our enemies and doing good to them who spitefully use us and praying for them, the Lord to bless them, do we actually think we can ignore that law and expect to be happy in Jesus? Let me ask you, you have spouses one time or another in your life. You know what it's like, don't you, to strike back when you've been struck? I don't mean physically, I mean, you know, the words or the behavior. 
it's hurt you. And your natural response was to hurt them. They said something mean to you and you said something mean to them. Right? Now let me ask you something. Would you consider that at that time period a happy time in your marriage? Hardy, har, har. It was anything but happy. But the moment you forgave and treated them with kindness and said, I'm sorry, then the happiness returned. Now you just transfer this over to dealing with our enemies. We're not going to love life. We're going to hate it. And we're not going to see good days if we don't obey this law of the kingdom. Holiness still produces happiness. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Furthermore, this is one of the most practical ways to avoid suffering. He's going to get into this once again in a few verses here. Suffering. Verse 13, And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? Because they were being harmed. They were being done evil to, but he says, Who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? It could be read, Who is good? Christ. God. You retaliate, and you're only asking for more trouble. You're only asking for more suffering. Isn't that how we have found it so? It's brought more pain, it's brought more grief, more heartache when we have retaliated. We've increased the warfare, we've increased the division, the strife, the fight. It's been anything but good days that we've seen when we've retaliated. And so he says, listen, listen, if you're going to seek vengeance and get back at people, you're just asking for more suffering and more trouble. It's not that meekness and humility uh, guarantee that we're not going to have uh, uh, trouble and suffering at the hands of the enemy, but the suffering that we will have to endure is going to be far worse without those things than it will be with them. There's no guarantee that we won't have to suffer evil at the hands of the enemy just because we have been forgiving and good and kind to them. Uh, you know he's writing about people who were living in Nero's age, and Nero did care, could care less about the Christian's kindness and forgiveness. He'd burn them at the stake in a heartbeat. But Peter's simply saying, it'll be far better for you to go down that road than it would be to strike back. That's a good motivation. You're going to make things better, you know, by holding your tongue, not trying to retaliate. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous or harsh words stir up anger. Finally, even if you and I end up suffering after we've done what the Lord has commanded us to do with regards to our enemies, we're still happy. That's what he says in verse 14, first part of it. Look at it. But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. That's fact. If they are attacking you because you are a Christian, if they are attacking you because they hate the truth you stand for, they hate the God you serve, 
the Holy Spirit says you're happy. I mean, we've got to get our heads around that one. That's the fact. We're happy. We're blessed. For that's what Jesus said. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 5, this famous Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. Happy are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. You're blessed. Motivation. You talk about motivation to deal with our enemies like this? No matter what they do, I'm blessed. No matter what anyone says about me. If they deal with me falsely, I'm being wrongfully done by, and I'm being attacked, and, well, listen. I'm happy. I'm blessed. I'm living the good life. I'm living the good life. And then not the kind of life you and I want to live. The good life. God read his word on our hearts for his name's sake. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's seek the Lord. Father in heaven, we can't help but believe that we have been brought to this passage at this time in our lives and our ministry because there is before us an enemy who will attack us, who will seek to harm us, to damage us. We pray, Lord, that as that takes place, we have already made up our minds that we're going to love our enemies and do good to them that hate us and despitefully use us. We do want to reflect the image of our God, our Father in heaven. We want to be like Jesus and love our enemies. So grant us help, Lord, we pray. Deliver us from that natural carnality that we might behave as spiritual men and women before a very unspiritual and ungodly world. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.